Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh my, it was a busy week at work. Oh yeah? Yeah, what happened? I don't even know. Like, I feel like everything's changing so much, I couldn't even tell you. Oh yeah, Uh, because you're government department. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I think 12 and plus got like implemented this week, I think. See, things have changed so much that I can't even tell you when these things went into effect because it just (laughs) is like... So, yeah, that happened. Uh, I've also got, like, other projects that are coming up because of, the like, the weather changing and the seasons changing. So, it was very busy. Love that. Yeah. Love when things are busy. I have not been busy at work, like, at all. <laughs> um, that, that do be how it goes with, like, yeah. a new job, though. Yeah. And we just, finally, our team is going to be full. We just have a new, we hired a new person for the team who starts on June 1st. So we'll have like a full team and basically just have to do all of the training they just did for me all over again, (laughs) which is good. I was like the guinea pig first child where they tested all of their training on me and ironed it all out (laughs) before they do it for the next person. So that do be how it goes. I feel like that happens. I don't, maybe it's a generational thing. I feel like it happens to me all the time. Like I'm always like the first like intern or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or the first person in the position, and they're like, we're just going to figure it out as it goes. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. they also were like, also stop us. It, like, they're like, we've never had anyone with, like, a ma- master's in publishing. So, like, stop us if, like, you already know anything or if you already heard this. And my position, I'm not going to, like, dox myself and say, like, where I work or what I do. Mood. But my position is very publisher-specific. So, like, it really depends which publisher you work for if they even have my role. So, they're not, they really didn't teach us anything about my job in our program, like, at all. My retail experience has prepared me more for this role than anything our program taught us. Right. So, like, I'm just sitting there giggling to myself because I was like, I don't know any of this. I was like, please tell me because I don't know. Right. Like, even the language I've never, like, heard of before. So, it was, it's very, it's, like, an interesting experience, and I'm glad that I'm being, like, exposed to this side of it. Right. What are you drinking? I'm just drinking um, seltzer water, because I am on the road today, so probably should not have any alcohol in my system. Yeah, probably not responsible. (laughs) For once. I, um, I am also not drinking. Um, unintentionally. So I'm at my sister's house today and I was here last weekend after we recorded and I am the resident margarita maker for my family. Like I am just same. I'm just known for making like, do you make regular margaritas or frozen margaritas? I make. I can make both. I've never made regular ones, but I make frozen ones all the time. I can make on the rocks or frozen. My parents, it's easier to make on the rocks just cause it's like, you don't have to make, get the blender out and do all right. of that. Right. But um, I make them fresh, too. I refuse to use, like, the mix. Because oh, I make I'm the mix. I u- yeah. Or I use um frozen juice concentrate when I make it frozen. Yeah, that's fine. I would right. use that, too. But I'm that bitch who just, instead of remembering to just... better. To, instead of remembering to just buy lime juice, I buy the actual limes and <laughs> squeeze it out myself like a dum-dum. Yeah. But I was... Even though I'm, like, really good at making margaritas, I hate the... The responsibility of choosing <laughs> like, what? which tequila to buy 
because my dad is oh. oh fucking weirdo who just casually sips on tequila like it's a whiskey. I'm scared of your dad. <laughs> You're the that's first person hor- to say that. Most people that's love That's horrifying. <laughs> I know. So I don't like that responsibility because I made them for us in like over like the winter, like around, I think the Super Bowl. And I think I bought Jose Cuervo or something like that. That's, I buy Jose Cuervo silver. So yeah, same. Yeah. And he's like, oh, this tequila is cheap. And, like, he was, like, making comments about it. And I was like, okay. So he gave me his good tequila to make him drinks. Mm -hmm. And the recipe that I follow, it says to put uh, four tablespoons of tequila in it. Yeah, I usually put, like, like a shot. Yeah. And he was like, oh, this is too strong. So I had cut it in half for him because I know how he really likes his drinks. And he goes, oh, this is too strong. It's too strong. So I was like, sir. So this last weekend when I made it for him, I cut that in half and only gave yeah. him like one and a half shots. And he was like, this is perfect. I love it. And I was like, you just love lime juice? That's literally what you're thinking. <laughs> like lime juice and triple sack? Great. Mood. But um, so I called him while I was at the liquor store. This is how off track we got. Um, I called him while I was at the liquor store and I was like, what's a tequila you like? Like, just let me know. So he tells me it and I think it's called Cabo. And I picked it up. And it said, um, coffee tequila. And I was like, that's weird, but okay. Right. And I guess it's the kind of coffee you would put in, or not the kind of coffee, the kind of tequila you would put in like a coffee drink Uh uh, or something like that. Uh And so I I show up at my sister's house. My dad's like, why the fuck did you buy this? Like, what? So um, he's like, this is the wrong tequila. So him and my brother-in-law went out and got the tequila. And then I remembered I forgot to bring triple sec. So my sister and I had to go out and get the triple sec. Long story short, we were able to make the margaritas, and they were great. And then my brother-in-law and I ended up drinking Dirty Ronas. Have you ever had one of those? They're so good. It's no. literally uh, Corona. Mm-hmm. And then, you know the empty space at the top of the beer bottle? You put yeah. a shot of tequila in it. You put your thumb in it and flip it upside down so that it mixes. It's And then put a lime in it to, like, cork it, kind of. And it's so good. I feel like I'd be up. Flat on my ass. Just because of the tequila. So good. I've actually never had a Corona. Really? No. I would hope not you I've hope I would hope you've never had the Corona. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, I, I want to see their sales record for the last year. I yeah, I can't imagine. But yeah, I've never had one because they are kind of a shitty beer and I really don't like beer, so I like it. Like I I can only drink Corona if there's a lime in it. The lime makes everything better. So You'd ha- we'll have to try it someday. Yeah. I did have a Stella. Like, Stella's six months ago. Stella's great. It was Love great. I had two it's of them. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Because it's not heavy. Right. You know what I mean? It's, right. It's just, oh, so good. But yeah, so I'm not drinking because I'm at my sister's house and I forgot to bring with me. And I feel bad <laughs> drinking my brother-in-law's beer because he's definitely going to notice if I took one of his beers. Mood. But what I would have had with this, which while I was reading today. Yeah. Or not today, but yesterday. <laughs> We're um, reading it live on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, I was thinking, oh my God, a, a really nice red would pair really nicely with this story and this book. Like a Merlot or? Or like a cab. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. like a, just a really good. And I had one in mind. I was going to drink my Coppola um, cab with this. Mm-hmm. But since that's at my house and I'm not at my house, can't drink it today. Um, but I thought this would have paired really nicely. Do you have... Oh, 
before we do that, this is Bookaholics Anonymous. <laughs> I'm Francesca. I'm Alicia. And we don't know when to do our intro, so we just slide it in there at any given time. Yeah, as, as, yeah, whenever we remember it is when we do it. Yeah. So, are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready I'm, for it? Uh, yeah, I am ready for it. No TM, book TM, news. TM, TM. New book news is good news. So. Yes, that's true. Okay, so this week I had a real hard time picking something <laughs> to read, as Alicia <laughs> knows, because I didn't read it until yesterday. Yeah. So I pick, I was going through my bookshelf and I was like, oh, none of this is really ca- catching my eye. So I picked up a book that was my grandfather's. Now, short backstory, my grandma passed away about a year and a half ago and when we were cleaning out her house... Um, my dad's like, I want each of you girls, me and my sisters, to have something, one thing that from this house that you really want. And he told me that he wanted me to have his dad's copy of The Treasury of Sherlock Holmes. Oh my gosh. And it is an antique. It is absolutely beautiful. And you can tell that he read it because of how the spine is like cracked. Right. It's like, it's not, it's like super imperfect and you can see where it was like bent. Um, and it's from the International Collector's Library. And he had a whole shelf of books that like looked like had this beautiful, like, just binding. What has, year is like, that the, edition? Do you know? 1955. Whew. Yeah, it has like the beveled edges, but oh, like we, a gold we top. A, we love a beveled edge. It It's beautiful. I have the and, Barnes and Noble edition. <laughs> like the special edition. <laughs> I love this book and he devalued it so much by highlighting in it (laughs) but it's okay because i would never sell it anyway he was a studious man what he was he really was which is weird i never i mean highlighting that's that's a commitment yeah he i never got to meet my grandfather he passed before my parents were even married but um i was like why don't i do one of these and it has like the flaggy in it that comes with like the ribbon to hold your page and i was like what was he last reading so i flipped to it and then i found like the story because it was a few pages in and it was the case of the dying detective which feels a little on the nose because it was probably the last thing he read before like so um (laughs) so the story i'm doing this week is a study in scarlet which is like the most famous Yes. Sherlock I've actually Holmes. never read it, so this works perfectly. Did you ever watch the BBC Sherlock show? With Benedict, Benedict. Cumberbatch? Yeah. Yes. So let's do that. Same. Let's rate our oh, okay. favorite Sherlock's. Okay. Because there's three. I only know two. I might know Benedict the third Cumberbatch, one I'm just forgetting. Henry Cavill, and Robert Downey Jr. Henry Cavill. I don't know if I've seen Henry Cavill. He was in Enola Holmes. Oh, I haven't seen Enola Holmes yet. I haven't either. Oh, okay. But okay. I'm going to put it in order right now and tell you, number one, Benedict Cumberbatch. Obviously. Number two, Henry Cavill. And I love you, RDJ. You are my Aries twin, my soul sister. But you got to be <laughs> at the bottom of the list. Totally because one of the reasons, because you're not even British. Like It's true. You got a point there. And I just didn't, I didn't feel like he sold it enough. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like he has a personality for it. Yeah, for sure. But, um, first of all, he's too short for it. I'm going to put it right there. 
put it on blast. Um, not even that, because in the book, he's described as being over six feet tall. And Robert Downey Jr. is like 5'7 on his best day. I'm glad that is in there, because I've always pictured Sherlock Holmes like really tall. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to have this vindication. <laughs> so. so, and then, well, we'll get into it. So <laughs> the story starts from, well, so the story, this is the first story ever done by Conan Arthur Doyle. Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> Whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> oh, about Sherlock Holmes. So this is where you get like their backstory of like how they met. Oh, that works perfect. This is their first case together. Aw, they're babies. Yes. <laughs> so the story is from the perspective of Watson. Like oh, watching. Okay. Yeah. All so right, the year right. is 1918. I have not had one drop of alcohol either. <laughs> it's a dyslexia. Blame it on the dyslexia. For me. So the year is 1878, and right now is when we get a bit of Watson's backstory. Um, and so how he becomes a doctor and he joins the army and during his time at war, he's struck in the shoulder with a bullet and he probably should have died. Um, had it not been for an orderly that was near that like kind of like hauled him off to safety. And that was like the first thing that already contrasts what I thought I knew about Sherlock Holmes and Watson, because I always assumed it was in his leg because you always see Watson with a cane. Right. So, like, why would you need a cane for a shoulder? I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so... I could not explain that to you. (laughs) So, while he is trying to recover from a shoulder injury, like, he's in India right now, I think, because this is during the second Afghani and Anglo-Saxon War. Um, He ends up getting a fever and getting even more sick. So, the British government's like, all right, time to head back home to England and uh, get better. (laughs) And improve your health. So he goes back to England and we find out he's making 11 shillings and six pence a day, which apparently is like a very like well-known fact about Watson because I Googled 11 shillings and six pence to see how much it would be today, like a day. Yeah. yeah. And just Googling that, everything that came up was about Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Love that. Um, and someone that did the math in like 2012 said it would be like $6. A day. Okay. So who knows how much it would be now, like 10 years later. But. Oh, do not like that. 2012 was 10 years ago almost. I know, right? (laughs) Ma'am, I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. uh, yeah, You were just starting high school. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So London is starting to get a little expensive for Watson. And he's starts to like wallow a little bit in his own like (laughs) self-pity. The huge. And while he's at a restaurant, he runs into a friend from war uh, that he went to med school with. Uh, This friend mentions he knows someone that's looking to split the cost of, like, a small apartment Mm -hmm. with another person because it's expensive, but for two people, like, it wouldn't be. The person that his friend knows works at the hospital in the laboratory as a chemist, but has, like, no real medical degree. He's just, like, very (laughs) smart. And his friend describes the guy as, like, a little weird. So, obviously, this person is Sherlock Holmes. A little weird. A little. Just a little. So, Watson is like, for sure, like, I'd rather have a friend around than be alone all the time. And he's happy to split the cost of the room with Sherlock. So, Watson and this friend go to the hospital together where he's working. 
And the friend makes it very clear to Watson, like, if this does not work out, you cannot blame me. Like, you cannot, (laughs) I've taken no responsibility for whatever the fuck happens. Like, this is all on you, buddy. Like, so we meet Sherlock and immediately he's super excited about this blood test that he's discovered about how you can like get like blood traces in unidentifiable surfaces. So like he puts a a drop of his own blood in water and it stays like clear because it's like not a lot of blood. But then he adds like this chemical to it and it turns like bright red. And he's like, oh my God, this would have saved so many, like this would have solved so many cases, blah, 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 blah. Right. So he shakes Watson's hand and he's like, oh, you were in Afghanistan? And Watson's like, how the fuck did you know that? Oh my gosh, this is bringing me back to my 2012 days. (laughs) So first of all, I also think Martin Short was, not Martin Short, Martin Freeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Martin Freeman was the best sidekick. He was. I love that man. He was so good as Watson. He really was. So, like, Sherlock kind of, like, doesn't answer him and just goes back to, like, ranting about this blood test he's discovered. Sounds about right. The friend brings up how the two of them are both looking for somewhere to share. And Sherlock gets very excited about the prospect of sharing, a room, like, an apartment with Watson. Mm-hmm. So he tells Watson kind of, like, all of his faults of, like, what he, as he is as, like, a person. Right. Um, that he does experiments pretty regularly. He smokes tobacco. and that, like, sometimes he gets in a mood and just, like, not to talk to him, and he'll be fine in a couple of days. (laughs) And I was like, okay, if that's not me. Yeah, same. Just, like, leave me alone. I'll be fine. Right. So then Watson tells Sherlock that he has a puppy, which is never brought up again. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) That he gets up at odd hours and that he can be extremely lazy. And I was like, okay, mood. I see you, Watson. (laughs) And then he goes, he also has a bunch of other vices that he has when he's healthy, but like aren't a problem right now. <laughs> so like they don't say it. So Watson is like, that's fine. I'm looking at a suite on Baker Street and we can go there this afternoon or tomorrow afternoon and take a look at it. And then the three of them like part ways. So the two of them meet on Baker Street the next day to see the apartment and they immediately like sign like a lease or whatever for the apartment and it's like whatever they did in the 1800s to gain ownership of the apartment it has two bedrooms (laughs) yeah literally just like (laughs) thanks buddy it has two bedrooms like a small sitting room and i think the kitchen is like a separate part of the apartment like i guess oh it's like a split level kind of thing yeah or like i i couldn't tell if it was like a shared kitchen like between all the apartments Mm. but they also had the landlady making them like food like, she was their cook, which Damn, I thought was, like, a little I weird. need to move in here. Yeah, right? What the fuck? Take my rights. I just want someone to cook for me. <laughs> so. Same. And they move in together, and Watson starts talking about the observations he's, like, making about homes, because he has nothing better. To, he literally says, don't judge me for this. I have nothing better to do with my time than to just observe Watson, to observe Sherlock Holmes. Why is that something you would say? <laughs> Listen, I am not the sidekick. I am the main fucking character. Thank That's you. true. That is true. So after reading the description of Sherlock Holmes, I can say that Henry Cavill was kind of a spot on casting. Oh, yeah? Okay. So he's described as being over six feet with sharp piercing eyes, 
a hawk-like nose, and his chin had a prominence and squareness, mm-hmm. which, like, marked him of, like, determination. Like, he just had that face. Right. So I feel like if you took Henry Cavill's head mm-hmm. and put it on Benedict Cumberbatch's <laughs> body and then gave him RDJ's personality... <laughs> the ultimate Sherlock. Black Holmes. Because, like, he's not described as being, like, built or, like, muscular. Right. More, like, lanky, which is... Benedict cabbage Conrad. Patch Kid? Like, right. he's... <laughs> Did you say Cabbage Patch Kid? <laughs> um, and then he's... So, also, they use the phrase, what the deuce, regularly throughout this book, which makes me laugh. Why is that something your dad would say? I <laughs> literally have in my notes, because for whatever reason, I used to say that all the time in high school, and then I put dot, 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 thanks, dad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> He literally used to say that all the time. And I used to say that all the time. I also regularly, and I still sometimes do, I used to call people wench all the time because my dad, again, used to call us a wench. Maybe, maybe your dad got it from your grandpa. Probably. Or his mother. I wouldn't be surprised. Right. But Um, your grandpa read the book. So maybe your grandpa got it from the book. The two of them had like spend time, like talk and Motson brings up how like the earth travels around the sun or like something comes up about the solar system and Sherlock is like amazed. He had like no idea. And he's like, he admits he chooses not to retain any information that isn't (laughs) relevant to his work. So he like, hears this from Watson. He goes, okay, I hope I forget this soon. (laughs) What the fuck? And Watson's like, the soul, you, you want to forget the solar system? Like (laughs) What? Okay. So Watson notes like all the different areas where he has expertise in or no knowledge of. And he notes that Sherlock is an expert boxer and swordsman. And he has just like a weird, vast amount of knowledge in different areas. But nothing like relevant. Well, not like I shouldn't say that. No like knowledge of like new relevant politics or like philosophy or anything like that. It's more like anatomy and old-timey literature and, like, weird shit like that. Yeah, kind of mood. I mean, I don't know anything about anatomy, but, like, the politics part, (laughs) it's a little funny. He's like, "Mm, not for me, thanks. Not for me. So, one morning at breakfast, Watson comes in, and Sherlock's just, like, sitting there, and he reads this article over his shoulder that he believes to be super outlandish. Watson reads this article about like observation and perception and deduction and how the three like work together and how this can make you like a better man basically. And when Watson remarks, TM, 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 Taylor Swift. (laughs) (laughs) So when Watson remarks how like insane the the article is, Sherlock is like, surprise bitch. I'm the one that wrote it. And that he himself in fact possesses all of these qualities described in the article. This guy is insufferable. <laughs> okay, so maybe I really am Sherlock Holmes. Like, so we learned that Sherlock's... Because, like, the whole time, Watson is trying to figure out what the fuck he does for a living. Yeah. And so this is when we learned that his job is as a consulting detective. So, like, helping when there seems like there's no help left. I said... I was going to say an accountant. <laughs> I'm an accountant. Exactly. He has an OnlyFans. <laughs> um... So he explains the train of thought he had and how he deduced Watson had been in Afghanistan when they first met and how 
he carried himself like a military man and had like this presence about him that just like suggested that he was in Afghanistan. Watson is a little baffled, but impressed nonetheless. A letter comes from a detective Gregson from Scotland Yard Mm -hmm. um, asking Sherlock to come to a crime scene in Brixton. uh, On Brixton Street, I think it was. It's a peculiar crime scene as there was nothing really amiss except for there being some blood on the walls. But there was no wound on the victim. Gregson says he would leave everything untouched until Sherlock gets there. So Sherlock is originally like hesitant to take the case because he hates working with Scotland Yard or any other detectives because of course he, he never gets credit for all the work that he does. And it's always the detectives that get the credit in the papers and things like that. So he's a little hesitant, but Watson kind of like goads him into doing it. And he invites Watson to go with him to the scene. Um, so as I get there, Sherlock, like, makes a comment about how the cops, like, trampled the garden outside. He's like, you said you would leave this untouched for me, and yet, bitch, no footprints? <laughs> like, But yet here I am. So the victim is Anosh Dreber from Cleveland, Ohio. He worked <laughs> for a steamship company and was probably about to go home before all of this happened. Aww. So sad. inside, after inspecting the crime seat... Sherlock deduces that the blood probably would have come from the second individual, likely the murderer. And he tells the police, okay, you can take the body away. It's good. And while moving the body, a ring tumbles out from underneath it. And it's like a woman's wedding ring. (gasps) Scandal. Something Sherlock thinks might simplify the situation while the cops think it might make it more difficult. Mm -hmm. So in the man's pocket is a gold chain, a watch, and a letter addressed to a Joseph Stangerson. Lestrade, the other detective on the case, finds the word Rach written in blood on the wall and assumes it's someone named Rachel had to be involved. So Sherlock wants to interview the officer that, like, found the body. So they give him the name and him and Watson go to interview him. And on his way out of the crime scene, Sherlock turns around and this is a quote says the murderer was a man. He was no more than six feet high, was in the prime of his life, had small feet for his height. And of course, square toed boots and smoked a very like specific kind of cigar. I couldn't pronounce the cigar, so I didn't write it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came here with his victim in a four wheel cab, which had been drawn with a horse with three old shoes and one new one. And he got all of that just from walking through the crime scene. So the detective... Wow. So the detectives ask how the murder was committed, and Sherlock is like, poison. Duh. Duh. Idiots. Um. Dude, it, it surprises me that they were able to solve any sort of murder back back then. Right? Like, think about all the shit they do not have. Like, <laughs> How do you even it's figure out? It's so easy to get away with murder. Exactly. Literally. That's what I'm saying. The only it's way to crazy. get caught is if you were still there when the body was found. Exactly. It's insane. It's insane. It's insane. So he tells them not to waste their time looking for someone named Rachel as Rach is the German word for revenge. As as a, a good German would know. Obviously. As a good German would know. Yes. <laughs> he tells Watson, like, Watson's like, how the fuck did you figure that, all of that out? And so he says when they arrived, he noticed how there were indents on the ground from the shoes of the horse that mm-hmm. showed that, like, one of them was a little bit deeper and cleaner, so it would have been a new shoe. Right. Um, he also noticed that we're, there was an indent near the curb that would have come from a wheel, 
And since it hadn't rained in the last week, it was clear it would have been the only carriage that brought the, brought the man to the crime scene. Right. And that, like, he saw the footprints in the dust in the house of the two, like, the victim and then the other perpetrator. And that's how he deduced he had, like, smaller feet. He also figured out the man's height based on the length of his stride and his step when he saw it, like, in the dust. This man is on 200 IQ mode. Like, what? Literally. He on X Games. (laughs) He also said (laughs) the rage on the wall was not written by a German but was put there explicitly to throw them off because I guess like back then the way the Germans wrote their letters, this was more of an English way of writing it versus the Latin way of writing it, which they would have written the letter. Right. I don't know. (laughs) Makes sense. I'll believe it. So in the interview with the constable, he said like he gives them a play by play of that night. And he says after he discovered the body, he calls for backup and they're like, there was no one else in the street. And they're like, he's like, no, it was just the people that were there to help. And this one other guy. And they're like, who's right. the one other fucking guy? What? He's like, <laughs> oh, it was just a drunk man leaning against the fence outside. Um, we helped him up and sent him on his way. Right. Sherlock just turns around and ruins this man's life. He deadass looks at him and like, says to him, the head on his shoulders is just an ornament that he'll never rise in the ranks of the police and that he's ruined his shot of his sergeant stripes. After they leave, Sherlock tells Watson that the, that was the man they were looking for. He had come back to the crime scene. Oh. And so he probably came back because he left the ring behind, the one that was like under the body, the woman's re- wedding ring. Mm-hmm. And he says that's what they'll use to draw them out. So Sherlock puts an ad in the paper saying Watson had found the ring in the street, like two streets over from the crime scene. So it wouldn't be attached to the crime scene. Oh, boy. And to call them if it was theirs. So a little old lady comes and, like, knocks on their door and explains that it's her daughter's wedding ring. And um, her husband would be very upset when he came back from the war and saw that she had lost it. And, like, she was just there to, to retrieve it. Right. So they, like, ask for addresses and, like, it kind of checks out. So she takes the, the ring and leaves. Sherlock says, BRB, I'm going to go tail her wait up for me okay a few hours pass and sherlock comes back and he's like thank god that the detectives weren't here for this because they would be laughing their asses off right now Mm -hmm. because he lost the little old lady he says he followed her down the street she said the address loud enough to the cabbie that she got into right and so he knew where they were going and he jumped on the back of their cab Mm -hmm. because it was like a horse and buggy and followed them and they got there and the cabbie like opens the door and she's gone like she dipped from the moving car and it was a fake ring like it was a it was just like a copy of the original ring that they found like it was just right a knockoff right so sherlock believes that they got played by the old lady and he thinks that maybe it was a younger man dressed up and maybe clearly a skilled actor to have escaped like that um, the next day, Sherlock has a visitor that's, like, a young man, like, a child, almost. And this is our first introduction to the Irregulars, which are, like, the band of children that Sherlock Holmes hires to just keep an ear to the street. <laughs> and okay. he, so he says he employs these young men around the city to give him information because he thinks most men, like, tighten up and, like, seal their, like, don't talk when anyone official, like, lurks around. Right. So he hires these kids, like gutter kids to go and like listen 
gutter kids. Okay. They're like poor kids. How else would you describe them? <laughs> I don't know. In like the 1800s. I'm not talking about like kids today. I don't know. Like, I don't know how yeah. else you would describe it. It's just funny. So the boy has nothing to report. Sherlock pays him and he's like on his way. So Gregson arrives and says that they caught the murderer. He explains that beside the body was this hat. And Gregson takes the hat to the hat maker's business and gets the address from the owner where he sent the hat to. And it's a boarding house. Right. Going to the house, he questions the owner's wife and daughter. And both of the women clearly, like, look distressed. And the daughter believes that it was her brother that did it. And basically is like, oh, my God, he did it. And the mom's like, you're going hell for outing your brother, you fucking snitch. (laughs) Snitches get stitches. Snitches end up in ditches, as Paul Bettany says. (laughs) and so she's like i can't believe you betrayed your brother but also i'll tell you everything so basically the victim drebber was like a drunk and while they were staying at the boarding house he tried to make a move on alice the daughter Uh which caused them immediately to kick the two men out because he was staying there with stangerson stangerson is his secretary to be clear okay so like his assistant yeah yeah yeah. so the victim came back again that night still drunk and tried to grab the girl to which the brother came out and kind of, like, beat the shit out of him. Because he carried, like, this really big stick with him everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So, Gregson's theory is that the two of them, like, got into this fight. And the young boy, like, the brother followed the victim down to Brixton Street where he clubbed him in the stomach. And that's what killed him. So, it wouldn't leave a mark. But I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, you would get a giant-ass bruise on your stomach if someone clubbed you to death. Yeah. I don't know. Like, if you hit someone hard enough, can they get, like, internal bleeding in their stomach? Yeah, but you would have, like, a bruise there. So, there would be, like, a mark. Right. And they didn't mention that. Yeah. Interesting. So, he Mm -hmm. interrogates the brother. And he's like, oh, I was out with my friends. But he couldn't confirm the friend's address. So, he's like, that's suspicious. (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) That's weird. Yeah. So Holmes is, like, congratulating him um, on his success as Lestrade walks in, the other detective. And Gregson and Lestrade, like, don't like each other. Like, they're battling (laughs) detectives. Yeah. And he comes in and tells Sherlock and Watson that Stangerson was just murdered in his hotel room. So it could not have been the guy from the boarding house because Mm -hmm. he's been in police custody. So he just said he had just come from Stangerson's hotel room and basically recounts that he found that he's the one that found the body. He had gone to the hotel to see like what Stangerson was up to, to see if he was even involved in the original murder. Right. And he found him in his hotel room propped up against the wall by the window that was open and a deep stab wound in his left side that probably penetrated his heart. Right. And above his head in blood looked like rage written again not again oh shit here we go again (laughs) so at the hotel the detectives collect his personal belongings and it included a telegraph that had the letters jh is in europe on it like that's what the telegraph said and Uh a box of pills what's the difference between a telegraph and a telegram i think a telegraph is a machine that you okay. use to sell a tele- send a telegram. Okay. I have no idea. You I wrong no person clue. to ask. Yeah. Someone so, let us know. <laughs> please. <laughs> We're not going to Google it. Inform us. We do not do research. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sherlock's like, can I see these pills? And he had brought them to Baker Street with him. So um, 
he shows they show the pills to Watson and Holmes, and Watson, being a doctor, um, confirms that one of those pills is water soluble. Both of them are. Mm-hmm. So to test Watson's theory, Sherlock breaks one in half, puts it in a glass of water with some milk. And there's this old dog downstairs that was, like, dying, and the landlady basically asked for the two of them to put it out of its misery, but they never did. Uh So Sherlock's like, just go get that dog for me real quick. And they give him this milk, but he doesn't die from this one pill. Okay. So Sherlock's like, hmm, let me try this, and breaks the other pill in half and puts that in the milk, and that's what kills the dog. So one of them is, like, harmless, and the other one is poisonous. Uh Uh-huh. So... That's how you, like, learn, like, okay, that maybe that's what killed them. That's the poison, right? Yeah. So one of his young gutter children (laughs) comes upstairs (laughs) and says that he has the cab Sherlock wanted downstairs waiting for him. And Sherlock tells the boy, okay, ask the cabbie to come up here and help me with my bags. Which is strange to Watson because Holmes never mentioned going anywhere And the two detectives are getting more and more aggro because he's not really providing any new information. Yeah. So the cabbie comes upstairs to help with the bags and Sherlock goes, oh, gentlemen, meet our killer, Jefferson Hope. Bro. (laughs) J.H. So the man tries to jump out the window, but is stopped by the two detectives and the four Mm -hmm. men like wrestle him to the ground and get him handcuffed um, and like prepare to take back to Scotland Yard. So now the story flips back like 30 years, 40 years to 1847, Salt Lake City. John Ferrer, Ferrer, something, I don't know. (laughs) And a young girl named Lucy are on a trail. They're both two survivors of a 21 person immigration party to like the West. Uh Uh-huh. And the rest of the people in their party like died from no food and water. Oh, shit. The two of them, like, kind of, like, sit down and are prepared to die because they don't have any more food or water. Shit, it's getting dark. Uh, yeah. And Lucy's, like, a young girl. She's got to be, like, a ch- like a child. Lucy Penisive? Penisive? From- no. <laughs> this is America, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> so they're prepared to, like, die when this group of Mormons finds them. This group of traveling Mormons. The group leader... Brigham fucking young allows them to join their group as long as John agrees to convert to Mormonism as well as Lucy agreeing to convert. And John is like, this is my daughter now. Nobody fucking touches her. She's not like his biological daughter, but like the bond of almost dying together, you know, it really brings people together. Together. Yeah. So among the group of Mormons is Stangerson and Drever. Just so you, to be clear about that. So now we flash forward 12 years and John is now a successful farmer in a town populated by Mormons right outside of Salt Lake. Lucy is now a beautiful young woman who has fallen in love with a man named Jefferson Hope. He's a miner and a pioneer. I think that's what you said. When you said miner, I thought you meant minor. No, not a child. (laughs) Like a whole minor. (laughs) So Jefferson has to leave town for a month or two for work. And in that time, it's decreed by the Mormon elders that she'll marry one of the sons of the Mormon elders. John does not want her to marry a Mormon. Absolutely not. So he... (laughs) Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Nothing against the Mormons, but this is what the story says. So he writes to Jefferson and asks him to, like, come home. The two men vying for her 
hand in marriage, or Stangerson and Drebber. The plot thickens. They both present their cases to John who about who would be a better, better match for Lucy, and he's like having none of that. He's like, get the fuck out. Neither of you. I choose neither. So Jefferson returns at the end of the month and takes John and Lucy to escape. The Mormons put out like this warning where they're like, everybody look for this trio. They're out there. Keep an eye out. They put out a, like a, oh, like a, what is it called when they're? An APB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So the three of them make it to the base of the mountain in Salt Lake before they run out of food. So Jefferson goes out hunting and when he returns, the camp is deserted and he finds John's fresh grave. And by the time Jefferson makes it back to the city the next day, Lucy's already been married to Drebber. What? A month after her wedding, Lucy dies. I hate it here. So Jefferson visits her grave and steals her wedding ring and vows revenge for her death. Sir, that is a crime. You cannot steal things from people's graves. I mean, you gotta do it to them. (laughs) I'm I'm not opposed to what happens next. So... (laughs) You had to do it to them. So Jefferson spends the next several years trying to hunt down Stangerson and Drebber. Like he follows them, I think, to like Chicago and then St. Petersburg. He like follows, like is so close to catching them every time. So now it flips back to present day. And this is where we get Jefferson's explanation for what happened. Jefferson also makes a comment that Sherlock should be the chief of police the way he was like on his tail the entire investigation. (laughs) Damn. So the man also reveals he's perfectly fine with telling them what happens because like, as Watson feels around his chest, prompted by Jefferson, he feels an aortic aneurysm that could basically burst at any moment. So he probably is never going to make it to trial. So Jefferson's like, I'm cool with telling you guys everything. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So Jefferson basically explains to the four of them that because of the lapse in time since John and Lucy's death, no court would ever convict the two men. And he believes that the two men forfeited their lives when they took John and Lucy's. Damn, go off, King. <laughs> so as I mentioned, the two were running from Jefferson this entire time, literally like 30 years. <laughs> and Jefferson has chased them over the last, like, two continents. As he should. Jefferson had promised Lucy's corpse. <laughs> what the fuck? That the last sight these men would see was her wedding ring to remind them what they did. So Jefferson had found out they were in London. And so he got a job as a cabbie because he was running out of money and he needed to find them. And what better way to do that than just drive around the city all day long, like looking for them. He got a point. Yeah. Smart man. He felt he found them and followed them for about two weeks. And the two men like never left each other's side. Like, because, you know, you got to think like two against one kind of thing. Right. Maybe they were gay. Definitely not. Given one of them was kind of a pedophile for the young girl. Oh, Well, I mean, that doesn't stop some people. That's fair. So one night he was following them and he followed them to the boarding house when he saw them leaving with their bags. And that was like the night they got kicked out and followed them to the train station. He got close enough to hear that they were talking about grabbing a train to Liverpool, only to learn that they'd just missed one and that there wouldn't be another one for hours. Drebber tells Stangerson he has his own business to attend to. And the two men kind of like just parted ways, much to Stangerson's chagrin, because the two of them agreed to stay to stick together. That was a great SAT vocabulary word. But chagrin. Chagrin. Yeah. Thank you. 
I remember it vividly. Thought of it myself. <laughs> Jefferson follows Drebber back to the boarding house where he tries to grab Alice, the, the girl, and then watches him get into the altercation with the brother. Oh, yeah. No, they're definitely not gay. They're just pedophiles. Yeah. <laughs> not like... Yeah, anyways. Yeah. So he picks so he picks up Drebber in his cab and takes him to the empty house on Brixton Street. He brings him into the house and he re- reminds him of what he did to Lucy. And then Matrix Style puts out his hand with two pills and said, God will decide between the two of us like who really deserves to live and makes Drebber choose one pill or the other. And one of them is harmless, one of them is poison. And then as the poison took... Jefferson like laughs and holds up Lucy's wedding ring in front of his face and just like laughs at him and is like, this is your fault. This happened to you because you did this. Get him. So then he finds out where Stangerson is and it seems a little easier because he crawls in through a ladder into his, through the window of his hotel room and he wakes up Stangerson and describes his Drebber's death to him. (laughs) Oh, this man is savage. And says his time of reckoning has come. Jefferson gave him the same choice of the poison Mm -hmm. pills, but rather than choose, Stangerson jumped out of bed and tried to, like, attack Jefferson. So Jefferson stabbed him in self-defense so that he wouldn't, like, strangle Jefferson. Right. So Jefferson planned on staying in London a few more days to save up money to go back to America. Yeah. When the young boy, the gutter child, um, came to, like, the area where all the cab cabs hang out and mm-hmm. was like oh is there anyone here named jefferson hope sherlock holmes like someone on baker street is like looking for a cab from you so that's when he shows up at baker street right jefferson is like fully like yeah i did it <laughs> and he <laughs> believes he's as much an officer for justice as the two detectives but like this wasn't done just for the thrill of it but like as revenge right, right. Uh, so then sherlock was like okay but who was your accomplice in getting the ring back when we put the advert out and Jefferson is like, I'm not a snitch. I'm not like, I'll tell you my crimes, but I'm not getting anyone else in trouble. That's right. And Sherlock's like, I can respect that. <laughs> <laughs> so Jefferson is taken out of Baker Street by the two detectives. That night in jail, Jefferson aneurysm ruptures and he dies with like a faint smile on his face as if, as if he's fulfilled his life purpose. Shit. So basically Holmes gives this really detailed account of how he figured out it was Jefferson, which is like three pages long. So I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> Feel free to, you know, Google it if you're really that interested. Start note it. Yeah. No, we're not doing that. We do not have the time for that. No. But basically Watson is like, you should write an, like an article about like this investigation and how you did it. But before like he can even say it, they pick up the paper and there's already an article in the paper giving all the credit to Gregson and Lestrade. Assholes! And that's how it ends. Fucking Scotland Yard. Right? What dicks? Wow. It was, it was really good. It was really short too. Yeah, now I kind of want to read my collection, like a couple of the stories. Yeah, and his stories, thing. like the, the book I have is like the treasury of all of like Sherlock Holmes. Right. It's like 500 pages, but each story is only like 20 pages. So it's like not too bad. Oh, that is really not bad at all. Yeah. And I think he has one that's like, there's one in here that's like 200 pages. But the first Shit. one in here is A Study in Scarlet because it's like the first one they've ever done together right didn't the doyle estate come out to say they didn't like the enola holmes 
adaption. Like, I would adaptation. not be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like I remember that for some reason. I also, I'm, I add that the reason I don't like RDJ's Sherlock Holmes is because they reduce Irene Adler to a love interest and she, ma'am, she is not. She is like the female counterpart of Sherlock Holmes. She's married to somebody fucking else. Right. How dare you? How dare? And aren't you proud of me that I haven't done my British accent once this entire time? I am. That was surprising. And we can also make a London boy reference here because it's true. British. They are. That's why I said Brixton because she talks about it in the song. And you. Just I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I love Sherlock Holmes. Like, this is pre-Agatha Christie. Like, the OG detective stories were Sherlock Holmes. Right. Like I said, I just in shock that they could solve any mysteries, any yeah, right? murders back in the 1800s at all. There's a great show on Netflix called The Murder Maps, where they like trace old, old, old murders and how they were solved back like during this time that I thought was really interesting. I watched it like last year or something, but it was really good. Right. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at BookaholicsPod, and you can find me on Twitter at Branch Toastics with an X, and on Instagram at Francesca Hope. And where can they find you? You can find me on Goodreads, Alicia Reads 13, or on Storygraph, Just Alicia Reads. And we'll see you for the next one. Bye!